You're listening to the Games Industry Biz podcast. I'm James Bachelor, and I'm joined in the room by Rebecca Valentine, Hayden Taylor, and we are here at GDC 2019. We're going to be discussing the biggest stories of the week and just our general feelings on the show. Before that, a quick recap of the headlines. I mean, I, I won't even bother summarising Google Stadia because we might discuss it, but Google announced Google Stadia, It's a, or, or Stadia, it's just called Stadia so far. It's a streaming service that will allow people to play video games on their phone, their tablet, their desktop, their laptop, their TV via Chromecast, all in uh, unrelenting 60 FPS, according to the chat from, from uh, Bethesda, and 4K and HDR support and all that, if it works. More on that later. Um, Oculus is phasing out the original Oculus Rift. They're launching the 399 Sorry, three hundred ninety-nine, the three hundred ninety-nine dollar Rift S this spring. It's going to launch alongside their Oculus Quest and uses Oculus Quest's uh, the Oculus Insight, the inside-out trackers. So you no longer need to have sensors all around the room. It's uh, aimed to be a, a much more convenient setup. Um, so that's their plan going forward. Indies cleaned up at the GDC Awards earlier this week. Eight out of 13 winners for the GDC Awards were Indie Studios. Uh, God of War took home yet another Game of the Year gong. I really should play that. And Return of the Obradeen by uh, Locus Pope got $33,000 in IGF prizes at the IGF Awards. During the IGF Awards, uh, it was hosted by Meg Giant. Um, she gave an amazing speech at the start uh, calling for devs to reject fascists, demand better treatment for themselves and their colleagues. You can find a full write-up of what she actually said over at gamesindustry.biz. Walmart is reportedly exploring its own game streaming service. The retail giant began talking to developers and publishers about its plans earlier this year, according to sources, um, because everyone needs a streaming service. Maybe. More on that later. Um, Cuphead is going to be the first title to bring uh, Xbox Live to Switch. It was announced earlier this week during a Nindy showcase. Microsoft plans to add features from his online service um, with a post-launch update to the Studio MDHR game. I apologise to the studio. I always muck that up. Um, Epic Games announced a $100 million Mega Grants program following its Unreal Dev Grants. It launched a suite of uh, a free suite of online services tools based on the tech from um, Fortnite for things like matchmaking and friends lists and stuff. Epic also announced more exclusive deals for the Epic Game Store. Private Division, Take-Two's publishing label, is going to be bringing uh, The Outer Worlds and uh, Ancestors, The Human Card Odyssey. Quantic Dream is bringing its previous PlayStation exclusives to PC for the first time, so you'll be able to get Heavy Rain, Detroit Become Human, and Beyond Two Souls. And Ubisoft has promised more exclusives, but Epic kind of said you know, Ubisoft will announce details later, and so far they haven't. Um, Unity partnered with Tencent for uh, China and cloud game services. You were actually at the Unity keynote, so what did that actually entail? Tencent is partnering with Unity in, chi- in China um, to help power Unity with Tencent cloud services in China. Um, the Tencent cloud service will become usable with Unity later this year, and it'll let developers power Unity games with cloud technology in the country. Um, and it'll also help developers have a, an additional gateway to get their games released in China as well. Um, they also, the other thing they did at the keynote was they showed and talked a little bit about uh, Call of Duty Mobile, um, which is also being done with Tencent. And it'll it's it's going to be a partnership with Tencent in China to bring the game there. But they also announced the release for North America. The latest NTPD report shows that Anthem was the best-selling game in February. Uh, out of all EA Bioware games to sell so far, Mass Effect Three is the only one that sold more in its launch month. That's all the biggest news of the week. Um, 
what do you guys want to talk about? I, I guess, we've got to start with Stadia. We've got to start with Stadia. Right. So I mean, it's the thing that everyone is talking about this week. Like, as I've been walking around San Francisco, I would just hear random people, usually with GDC passes, but like even non-people, like talking about. So Stadia, what do you think? I'm like, now the conversation seems to have shifted. I, so I was in the the keynote um, at the start, so I actually got to see it presented. It was really cool. Um, the <laughs> the teasing kind of the icons at the start, like, and I know, like Phil Harrison has since said, do not read too much into them. Sitting there 20 minutes before it started, everyone was reading everything into them. You like, can't so put those up on the screen and not expect people yeah. to read it. You see arrow, the little arrow to the knee icon and you're going to think, Google has this on their screen. Are they putting Skyrim on whatever this is? This is the thing. I think this is, is they almost shot themselves in the foot with this. In the, or the knee. Or, or the knee. <laughs> they, they arrowed themselves in the knee with this. In the, you, you're sitting oh, there no. like, <laughs> Shane Hayden's just visibly shaking his head, which doesn't come across in an audio medium, but that's fine. So... You're sitting there. They, they hyped this up. They hyped this up a lot. There's been rumours of Google consoles or Google streaming service. Obviously, we knew it would be something connected to Project Stream, which was back in October. It was a test to see uh, if they could get Assassin's Creed Odyssey running in a, in a browser. So this was you know, positioned and built up as like the big reveal of the week. There was that uh, display on the corner of 4th and Howard where it was like all the influential consoles throughout the history. Mm-hmm. Um, and then there was just an empty cabinet saying, coming soon, which most people thought, including myself at one point, like means, all right, they're definitely doing a console then. And that's not what they do. Then then you're sitting in this uh, room and they're putting up these, uh, these symbols and it's like, right, well, that's quite clearly Metal Gear Solid Five. That's quite clearly Red Dead Redemption. That's quite clearly Skyrim. That's something Mario. So built and built and built. And then when they announced it, it was pretty much in line with what we already thought it might be. I.e., it's, it's essentially on live as on live should have been. It's on live with someone actually having the money and resources to pull off an on live. I mean, what was your initial reaction then when when they so it's, it's streaming service? You can switch between devices. All this stuff about like you know four K games and all this. Um, some of the there was a lot of kind of cool little little features. Um, the you know like the state share and stream connect and all this. Your initial reactions. I have a completely unoriginal opinion. I mean, it's exactly what most people are saying. The idea looks and sounds great in principle. Is it actually going to work? We don't have a lot of we we don't know what the pricing model is going to be. We don't know. We don't have a lot of good concrete evidence that this is going to be some... They talked about accessibility in the opening, and that was something that was really important to them. And that core idea is really interesting, right? The That, you know, consoles are expensive, uh, games are prohibitive for a lot of people. Um, mobile games are not, and so their, you know, mo- mobile game market is absolutely enormous because free games on the device that everybody has is, you know, great. People can game on those. This could potentially, if it, you know, works as it says it does and is as accessible as it says it is, be similar in that games of all types could be accessible to anyone. But is that really going to work? Do people have a fast enough internet connection? Are, are ISPs going to throttle things? Because I'm, I'm based in the US, you know, we've got net, all these net neutrality arguments and net neutrality got killed. Mm. Um, is that eventually going to become an issue? Yeah, there, are just, there are so many big question marks on this. And if anyone can pull it off, it's probably Google. But... You know, we still we still don't know if anyone can pull it off. <laughs> that is that is like the one thing. So from from the keynote, because any any keynote like this it is all kind of to an extent it's hyperbole. To an extent, it's all kind of really trying to sell you on this vision. Mm-hmm. And you know, like, again, like I, I mock the the Bethesda chat, but like, you know, like um, you know, 4K unrelenting 60 FPS. Unrelenting. Like, unrelenting. <laughs> like like this is all the sell. The one part of it that I was like, you know what, that is 100 percent truth. You cannot 
fault is when one of the Google chaps came out and said, no one else in the world has the infrastructure to run this. Like, actually, yeah, you're right. Only yeah. Google. For all the talk of like, you know, like Microsoft is trying to do its, its um, Project X Cloud. EA wants to do a streaming service. Walmart. Walmart <laughs> wants to do a streaming service. Is it Amazon and Verizon also? Amazon and Verizon probably like do, doing something like um, that. Rovio spin-off Hatch is trying to do a streaming service for mobile games, premium games. Yeah. But no one has like it's, you know the, the the data centers and the five hundred thousand miles of fiber optic cables. Like no one has the the resources and the infrastructure to do this other than Google. So it is down to Google to make this work. But will they? And that's kind of the question that everyone's kind of had. Even like, I, I spoke to um, Tim Sweeney earlier this week and I asked, you know, like thoughts on Stony. I was like, yeah, it's a really cool idea. Um, they've got the resources. We can't do this. Like even with, <laughs> he, essentially, he essentially said, even with Fortnite money, we could not do this. <laughs> like, so, yeah, I, 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 I mean, you, you actually had a go, didn't you, Hayden? You actually played it um, on the show floor. Yeah, I played it for all of maybe 10 minutes because it just dropped you into the middle of an Assassin's Creed save and it's like, I have no idea what's going on. <laughs> um, and yeah, like they, they, for some reason they were they were doing it on the worst like off-brand Logitech controller I've ever seen in my entire life, but also running it off what looked like a $100 laptop. Yeah. Um, and it, it wasn't like, it didn't look as beautiful as you sort of expect it, it to was, be. It wasn't uh, unrelenting. No, I mean I, the, the the FPS was was stable from what I could tell, um, but yeah, it was a uh, it definitely worked. Yeah, <laughs> um, it worked on on the Moscone Center Wi-Fi, which is also something. Um, but yeah, I it didn't really leave me feeling all that impressed. I mean, the the fact that it was running on a very 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 old looking laptop was was something. Yeah. And, uh, I actually went to go chat to the NVIDIA guys afterwards to see what they think about this Google tech because this is theoretically trying to make them obsolete. Yeah. Um, you know, expensive home hardware should be a thing of the past if Stadia ever takes off. Um, and his argument was that although it might be at some point in the future, it's still a very long way off because just the fidelity and the actual quality of the game running on this on this streaming software is never going to be as good as like proper hardcore PC hardware. Yeah. And so I think there is an argument for accessibility that it could, uh, you know, it's cheaper, it's more accessible for a lot of people, but I think the chances of it really sort of destroying the PC home market, yeah, is quite a long way off because people who like PC gaming, proper PC gaming, part of the appeal of it is big fancy pieces of expensive hardware so yeah. I think this is the problem like this is part of the, the issue is that this this has been announced and is launching this year as seemingly a kind of almost a finished product like this is the vision and this is what you get this year but the truth is that this is going to be a much more this is a, has much more far-reaching implications than they say it's it's a much more long-term thing like yeah, no one, no one's going to stop building PC, you know, like high-end PCs for this instead because as much as they're pushing the kind of the the 4K 60, you know, 60 FPS up to 8K, <laughs> they were going, you know, like in just a few years, like they push that. I think, I th you know, 10.7 teraflops of GPU power. <laughs> teraflops. Teraflops is such a glorious word. Like, but like, you know, shift like selling this this streaming service, like you know, this 
streaming service, the graphics are more powerful than both the PS4 and the Xbox One X, sorry, the PS4 Pro and the Xbox One X combined. It has more teraflops <laughs> than both those machines combined. It's like, yeah, but that doesn't matter if it doesn't work. This needs to be accessible. It doesn't need to be high-end. It doesn't need to be you know, all singing or dancing. It needs to work. The, the selling point for this will be the convenience, the efficiency, and just the stability, not can I see every freckle on Alexius's legs? You know, like, I, I, I briefly played the, the Assassin's Creed demo as well. And yeah, like, the graphics were not awful, that's, that's a strong word. They weren't, they weren't the, you know, the, the quality that we were promised. Yeah. But it was smooth, it ran smooth. <laughs> I joke that the, uh, the graphics actually, given that they were, it was a little bit blurry, a little bit jagged, mm. it almost looked like someone had applied a kind of a Breath of the Wild filter to Assassin's Creed Odyssey, which oddly made me want to play it more. <laughs> um, but like, it was, it was smooth enough. Like, yeah, the, that controller was bloody awful. That like, was and awesome I got, control. Like, but and that, that that I think that confused matters because like I couldn't then work out like is the latency because I'm playing a really cheap controller or is it because the you know you're on a big exhibition center Wi-Fi? But it seemed to be reasonably smooth. I didn't notice any particularly jarring kind of lag or anything. I wasn't particularly good at playing it. Yeah, I think <laughs> I, I did my usual Assassin's Creed tactic, which is sneak up to a camp, dive in, do a stealth assassin, then get killed. Like <laughs> that was that's just standard Assassin's Creed fare for me. But the fact they could deliver that experience on a really cheap laptop was like, okay, this is interesting. I, when when Phil Harrison came out and did the whole thing about the whole spiel about download bars and how consoles, you know, you pay four or five hundred dollars for a box and then every time you buy a game you have to wait for it to install mm. and you have to wait for download patch. Like that is the bane of my life. Mm. I hate that. I absolutely miss the days of you plug in a game and you play and you're done. Because and I appreciate that's just the complexity of games, like that's just the world we live in now. Like that's that's if you want these high end, really impressive experiences, that is the you know, that's just a necessity. But the idea of I can see it watch a trailer and on on YouTube, think yeah, I'll give that a go. Click and within five seconds, be playing the game, or at least get to the menu. Maybe like that alone, that appeals to me if it works. And again, that's that caveat of if it works. So I have two thoughts on that. The first is you said it was smooth enough, and one of the phrases that I've heard a couple times this week from talking to people is "good enough." I I agree. I don't think it has to be. The selling point is not that it's going to have these amazing graphics. Like, Hayden, you're right. People who are really into PC gaming are going to stick to the kind of PC gaming that they've always stuck to, which has, you know, the, you know whatever whatever super high-end graphics, because I, I don't think this is going to accomplish this for all or even most people. Um, but it just needs to be good enough. The fact that people who otherwise would have had no capability of playing Assassin's Creed can pick up the game and play it and it functions and is, you know, smooth and you don't have, you don't have the kind of latency where you're like, you know, rubber banding or like swinging your sword in weird ways or whatever. I don't know what you do in Assassin's Creed. <laughs> <laughs> not, 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 not the one that you guys were playing on the show floor anyway. Yeah. Um, but yeah, you don't have that, like, like that, that is amazing. And I, I, I think they started with that principle when they were introducing it but then they immediately started going into teraflops and and, yeah. and they got so far away from it that i it, it was just it was a very the whole presentation was very weird too like they took they took a good like 15 minute run up to actually get to the thing they were announcing yeah. and also like it was just it was the uh, the ceo's like kind of opening speech of oh. i don't like video games really inspiring way to launch a video game <laughs> platform is i don't like video games like it's was he yeah. like fifa or madden or something that's what he said no, what? he likes real world sports. He likes real world sports. Oh right, yeah. <laughs> but I mean, I, I like the you know yeah the fifteen minute run up was a little excessive, but I like the 
and it's very much a kind of PR spin, but the, the, the concept, the notion of, right, we want to build one person, one place where everyone can come and play, like the stadium. Mm-hmm. It's named stadia for kind of the plural of stadiums. Yeah, um, yeah. Like, yeah, many, many, many a different stadium. Like, the idea of, like, yeah, you know what, like one place where everyone can come and play. And it, I, I read that to mean all types of games. So as much as they're really pushing this with the Dooms and the Assassin's Creed, I think you'll get like eventually get like the Angry Birds and the Clash of Clans on this as well. I think this will be yeah, a yeah. one-stop shop for all forms of video game and that is just a, that, that that's a that's a, a fair ambition is to create this one platform that everyone can um access through any device that they've already got, providing it's got an internet browser or currently providing they've got an internet browser with Chrome. Like um so it's 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 a good ambition is to to bring down the walls before between platforms but uh, yeah it's how many people actually want to use that like yeah they go they go on about yeah this is going to connect two billion people like that two billion people is just people who use chrome like no like not all of the people who use chrome have any interest in video games or have any any desire to play in assassin's creed right uh the other thought that i had that i think is kind of sad and a little bit disappointing with Google is they're they're they seem to be dropping fiber. I guess they're not they're not really gonna keep expanding Google Fiber. Mm. And I, I, I don't know exactly what the details are on that. I guess they like took it away from a city recently or something. Um, but Google Fiber would have been a great pairing for this if they yeah. continued to expand that. And that I think would have I mean, you know, it, not they can't obviously can't put Google Fiber in every single place in the entire United States or entire world. Whatever like I that's probably logistically impossible, but it would have been a nice pairing to say we're, you know, for your worries about internet connection, this is how we're expanding Google Fiber in the next year or two years or five years or whatever, and that that would have been interesting, but I guess that's not probably happening. It was very odd to see Phil Harrison announcing something that is so tied, just by its very nature, obviously, is tied to the internet, given that he, this is the man who kind of unveiled the Xbox One, yeah, sorry, (laughs) you know, the Xbox One, which when they first announced it, like, you know, constant internet connection and instantly everyone that was, was just so mad. everyone ripped into that because not everyone has a constant internet connection and that was just kind of Microsoft's weird kind of USA blindness where they are, like they seem to assume that the infrastructure of the US is, is reflected everywhere else or that that was the impression given at the time and here we have Google doing the same thing of like right yeah we're going to bring games to everyone in the US, UK, Canada, and most of Europe. It's like, right, well, that's not mo- not the- everyone. Mm-hmm. Like, and those are all the people who already have better access to games than the yeah, rest of exactly, the world. Exactly, yeah. Those, oh. Yeah, it's um, it's an odd one. Uh, to, to move on, because like, I think we've, 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 we've covered the scepticism as to whether or not it will work. That I think the issue as well, like, and I know the, the point of this week's reveal was to show off the tech, to explain what it does and what it is. And a proper full reveal will come later in the summer, he does in air quotes, which like surely means E3. Someone someone asked him, does that mean E3? And he just said summer. Yeah, it was, like, <laughs> it was the, the Kotaku podcast. It was um, hilarious to listen fantastic. to. Because you're like, in the summer. <laughs> so you mean E3? No, in the summer. <laughs> okay, we'll see you at E3. The summer. <laughs> <laughs> we get it, Phil. You cannot budge on this, we know. But come on, it's E3. Or at least an event around E3, maybe. <laughs> Business model. That is the biggest jarring and I know that GDC isn't necessarily the place to announce a business model it's not it's not the place to announce a final pricing but if you're going to announce something like this you at least need to give an indication of how it how it how the end user is going to access it and pay for it and how the people who develop on it or publish for it are going to get paid absolutely yeah yeah which, I, which I think this would have been a great place to announce that actually yes 
here, here's this big thing, and here's how you, you, the developers, make money out of it. Come make games for us, please. That's how you should have pitched this. Like, I mean, with you know, E three is only a couple of months away, so it shouldn't wait too long. I think there are surely there are only two ways they can do this. You have an idea of a third, I think. But, <laughs> but um, <laughs> so they can only do this via right. You either do individual game licenses, so you pay sixty dollars for Assassin's Creed. To access all the devices. <laughs> no, I know, I know, I know. I, we'll, we'll get to you and your theory. Hayden's shaking his head. Right, you, they either do, this is the stupidest way of doing it, is individual game licenses. So if you have a Google Stadia account and you pay $60 to add Assassin's Creed Odyssey to that account, you can then, like, a la kind of, I think Chris, Chris um, likened it to Ultraviolet. Ultraviolet, when you buy a, a DVD, you get the digital version on Ultraviolet, but you have to have purchased that individual film to access it on your um, Ultraviolet account. That's one way. That's stupid. No one is going to do that. Subscription. Tenner a month, you get access to the whole library. That is surely the only sensible way of monetizing that. But again, we're in an age where subscriptions are very much a question mark. How do developers make money out of something like Game Pass or Stadia if it is a subscription? Hayden. Sorry I was shaking my head no, no. during that earlier. I was probably quite off-putting. Um, yeah, <laughs> there's, there's, there's no way they're going to do a license because... Google doesn't want to get caught up in any debate surrounding ownership. No. Like, they want you to rent off them so that then they can take it away. Like with Netflix, they can take anything they want away from you and you kind of have to be okay with it because you didn't buy anything. Um, so yeah, Google don't want to get wrapped up into, into questions of ownership. I mean, nobody wants to get wrapped up in those questions in like the age of digital distribution. Um, so a subscription model makes the most sense, but as we've seen with things like Spotify, it's artists don't really get very well compensated yeah and i cannot imagine google being the sort of company that's going to have a really ethical compensation scheme It'd be um, shit for indies yeah it's going to be really bad sorry for... can i say shit on the podcast you can now you just said it <laughs> sorry <laughs> but yeah you're right rebecca like it's gonna if, if if it works on a similar model to spotify of whoever where it's kind of a time spent playing or number of players model then big companies like Ubisoft will get a lot of money and small developers who maybe get like 100,000 plays, which would have been a lot of money in sales, is all of a sudden nothing mm. in terms of streaming. Um, but there's also, and this is the much more cynical and therefore most likely outcome, <laughs> is that Google will harvest your data and sell it and also charge you a subscription fee. Yeah. <laughs> Um, and I think, I think chances are that the subscription fee will be there to maybe mask the fact that they're selling your data or to subsidize the fact that they're selling your data. But yeah. there is a lot of useful information that they can gather about what kind of person you are based on how you play games. Like yeah. you, you can market explicitly to people who like always choose the renegade option or people who have a propensity to replay certain games and so you know that they like things that are familiar and then you can sell them things that remind them of the good old days. Like... <laughs> So yeah, I I, th I think that that is the most the most likely outcome is subscription tied with data sales. I mean, Google is built off selling your data. I don't think it's going to have a change of heart there anytime soon. Because mm. I have heard like you know, going to like you know certainly using people's data to sell stuff to them. I have heard a bunch of people kind of speculating as to whether or not this will be rife with ads 
because <laughs> a la YouTube, you know, YouTube, there's banner ads around every bloody um, <laughs> video you watch and then pre-rolls. And hell, last couple of weeks I've noticed like, you're getting multiple pre-roll ads. Yeah. So, you know, as much as they're like, oh, you can be watching a trailer on YouTube, click a button and then you're five seconds, you're in the game. Oh, it's like, yeah, no. but is it, is it five seconds and then I watch the first three pre-roll ads and then I can play the game and after an hour it pauses for me and I, I don't know if that's that's an option. Those no, I'm gonna I'm gonna be in the middle of Assassin's Creed or whatever I'm playing and I'm gonna, you know, climb up a tower and I'm gonna get ready to jump off and right as I jump off it's gonna interrupt me and show me a fifteen second ad. Yeah. yeah. No. Yeah. And then when it when it cuts back into the game you're just gonna see your corpse on the floor. <laughs> <Yeah>. Desynchronized. <laughs> <laughs> or or I mean, you know, what if it turns out to be I guess a lot like what we see with mobile games where not not only can you you know access these games via YouTube videos but presumably by the same tech they could do that through ads on websites as well. Mm. You see those ads, you know, maybe on Facebook or whatever that say, you know, play now and you click on it and yeah. I have never clicked on one of those so I assume you go to a website and play. But could it could they end up doing something similar where they they use ads and you could just click on the ad and it would open up the game perhaps? but then you could have ads for other games inside games. I mean, it, yeah. It's it's quite the rabbit hole that we're going down here. <laughs> There's a lot of tech that they could do things with here, and I don't yeah. like a lot of those things. <laughs> you said about it being um, shit for indies in terms of monetization. Like, yeah, I think I like a subscription. Like In terms of like subscription, even if it's just pure subscription, not harvesting data, like, the, own, the theory is that subscription might be kind of minutes played or would be just, you know, right, we'll pay you X amount one time to get your game on this service. Like, it's a shame because like when, when I was watching the keynote, I was thinking actually indies might benefit from this in many ways because of that single, that link distribution. The, you know, to use their, their hyperbole, the, uh, you know, the internet, the entire internet is your store. Like, the, the, the notion that you can just share this link and you click on that link and it instantly takes you into the game. Like, Indies trying to shift their game or trying to get their game discovered, like working with influencers or whoever, like you're trying to get people not only just to, to look at your game and then interested enough to look track it down on a store and buy it, to remove those barriers so that, hey, I'm watching this cool little weird indie game on YouTube, yeah, I'll give that a go, click, play, done. That's big. The potential for that is big for the smaller publishers for the indies to be able to yeah, to, to bring in an audience within a single click straight to the game, that's cool. If you're not monetizing it, if you're, or if they're not being compensated for it enough, that's not cool, but at least it, it potentially improves the chances of discoverability for indie and smaller publishers, I think. You can also imagine um, bigger companies making use of streamers to cut deals like that, right? Like, you, got, you have someone like Ninja. Um, we found out there was a report recently that Ninja got paid, what, like one million or something to... Reportedly do... so, yeah. Re Reportedly, yeah. 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 But, but okay, so, so say that's true, and he yeah. got paid one million to do this. So say, say someone's coming out with a game and they paid Ninja one million to, you know, put, play, it on his, uh, play it on his channel and then have that Google link whatever to Stadia. And he plays it, and then you can just click on the link in his stream and get right into the game. So that one, that game gets tons of viewership, he gets whatever money he gets, and then, I mean, there's also the possibility for streamers to end up with deals for however many people click on the game and play it as a result. I mean, I mean, there's just, there's a lot of weird potential here, and it's, yeah, it's, I don't know. It's really getting into the meat of kind of the, the dark side of how you monetize on the internet, so like affiliate marketing as well, mm -hmm. where, yeah, like streamers get money per clicks, but... I, I think it I think it's kind of interesting because yeah potentially you can get a lot 
like indies might be able to get a lot more people playing their game because it tears down that that barrier of how difficult it is to kind of boot it up all of a sudden. But it just relies so heavily on big companies to do right by small companies and independent developers. And historically, has that happened often? No. Yeah. yeah. No. It's it's going to be interesting. The, the trouble is, we're now we're, we're now at this point. We we don't have enough information. Like for all the hour long keynote that we got and the all the details on you know state share and crowd play and style transfer ML and unrelenting FPS and everything that we got given, we do not know enough about how the end product looks, how the business model works. We don't know enough to to truly understand the potential of this. The thing we do know, though, is how the internet works. Yes, <laughs> and, that's true, yeah. And I feel like this, this thing that's going to exist purely on the internet will be reflective of the nature in which the internet works, whereby a lot of people don't get properly compensated for what they do. A lot of people, or sorry, less people get overly compensated for what they do, which I guess is kind of just reflective of general society anyway, but on the internet where where all of a sudden everything is free or very cheap, people don't like paying for YouTube content, for example. Mm. Um, and so you have Patreon and stuff like that. So I don't know, do, do we start moving into a, a sort of model where indie developers make their games and they put them out on Stadia and then they have little Patreon links and it's like, this is how we actually afford to make the games and put them on the platform because the platform doesn't actually do a very good job of sort of reimbursing us for what we do. So you might see some, I was going to say new, but you might see some sort of monetization efforts that reflect kind of how modern content creators do it. Um, and I do think... In theory, it creates a lot of opportunity for weird games to get made that may not get made any other way. Mm. Um, sort of in the similar way that like Netflix, you get a lot of stuff being made for Netflix that probably wouldn't get made under the traditional TV model because you have to find a time slot for it. Yeah. And you don't have to do that all of a sudden. So sort of like with games, like you have to find the market for it but actually maybe you don't need to do that anymore if you just put it out there and then the market kind of comes to it because it's just on this online platform that's so easy to access so there is potential for more strange projects getting made that perhaps never would have got made before but then will those people ever get compensated for what they do is another question entirely and my guess is probably but not very well What else have you guys seen this week? What else uh, has, has got people talking, or rather got you talking or thinking? Well, I got to go by Nintendo. Ah, uh, yes. Yeah, the Nintendo Showcase. The, yeah, the Nintendo Showcase, which unfortunately did not have every Nintendo that was shown in the Nintendo's Direct. That would be a little much. Um, one thing that they did do is they started it, the Nintendo's presentation off before we got our hands on games. They... That, you know, they gave a little, like, state of Nindies presentation, and they talk a lot about, you know, high Metacritic scores and how well Nindies are doing on Switch, you know, that's... Of course they want to do that, they want to, they want to tell you how great the games are doing, but one thing they did that was interesting is they talked about um, the current top-selling uh, indie games on Nintendo Switch, which they didn't give any numbers for, but it was, you know, the top ten or whatever, and it was Undertale, in no order, Undertale, uh, Stardew Valley, Hollow Knight, Overcooked, Overcooked 2... Dead Cells, Enter the Gungeon, Golf Story, Celeste, Graceful Explosion Machine. That one surprised me. 
Um, I, I don't think I'm familiar with that one. Uh, came up came up fairly early in the Switch's yeah. life cycle. Um, but and I think that was all ten. Um, but yeah, that was that was kind of cool. Like, and most of those games are extremely unsurprising to me. But um, it was it was just cool to know that information that those were the top ten. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so I, I got to play Neo Cab, which looks amazing. You're like an Uber driver, <laughs> kind of. I mean, you're a Neo Cab driver in this weird dystopian city, and you you pick up passengers. You have this mood bracelet. You have to keep your your mood chill, and you know try try to like balance your emotions and things like that. But you also have to balance having money and having power in your car, and not pissing off your cab company and getting ratings. And it's it's a weird like resource management game, but also a branching dialogue pathway story game. Yeah. And I thought that was really really great. Um, I'm actually going to go speak to the devs about that in about an hour. <laughs> oh, okay, cool. Fantastic. Enjoy. That that was that was one that I caught like the first ten minutes of the the Ninja Showcase like here in the hotel like before I went out to the show and um, th- there's this weird it might it might be like the kind of innate Nintendo fanboy that is in me that has been in in me since a young young age but there is something about me like, like indie games I'll hear about and it's like okay that sounds interesting but when they're like on PC I don't really have a, a gaming PC I don't tend to play many indie games on my PlayStation or my Xbox and I, I'll hear about it it's like, well, that's quite interesting as soon as it's got a Switch version I'm like ah now I might pick it up because and then, you know at the risk of going back to Stadia briefly like, oh God. no no but like I, I was talking to someone last night and they were saying like you know like for all this oh you know you can stream on multiple different devices and you can take your game wherever you want it's like that's what the Switch is and there's no need for an internet connection there's no need for um, there's no worries about latency or anything like that's the point of the switch you can have it at home and play it on a big TV or you can take it with you on the go or into another room or whatever and like, once you buy the game you own it you, you don't, own it. Yeah, you don't exactly. have Google possibly maybe taking it away exactly Nintendo's not harvesting my data as, uh, as Hayden will do. well, or well yeah, Hayden's raising, raising they his they are probably okay. not harvesting as much of your data as Google okay, is yeah, Hayden, Nintendo has less yes, of probably. my data yes okay. probably <laughs> But like, I, but yeah, and, and I, was, I was thinking like, yeah, actually, that's a good point. Like, you know, like the, the the portability and convenience of Switch is still kind of making itself known. And like, yeah, just to see these kind of indie games succeeding well. I mean, like, you know, how many stories have we seen where an indie has revealed that actually the Switch version has sold better than all other versions combined? Mm-hmm. Like, it's just it's really cool. So to see the kind of variety of titles coming out on that platform is is brilliant. Yeah, you also see a lot of titles that get kind of new life when they show up on the Switch in a mm. way that they don't necessarily get when they show up on other platforms. Um, I remember Hollow Knight came mm. out in 2017 on PC, and it, it was a good game. I mean, it reviewed well, people liked it. Um, but then it came out on Nintendo Switch in 2018, and it blew up. Everyone was you know, saying, oh, this is game of the year, game of the year, game of the year. And it's like, well, it came out last year, um, <laughs> but it was on Switch, and it, yeah. Yeah. So it's it's Switch has been really, really good for Nindies. They... I, I don't think there's any data out there that we can pu- pull out and concretely point to and say yes, this is this is how much better. Yeah. But just anecdotally from a lot of people, it seems like the Nintendo Switch has just been fantastic for Indies, and they're actually doing vocal support. Like they're doing this Nindies event at GDC. Um, they're doing these Nindie directs. Um, I did. Xbox has done a pretty good job too at promoting indie games. I went to an event for that here at GDC as well. Um, Sony has not done nearly as much independent independent game promotion as they we, used to. Which is, you know, say they they used to do loads. They used to, they used to be quite a, a, a differentiating factor between them because they used to have that strategic content um, team. Uh, which I think was based in London, or, or maybe it was a global thing. But they, they would secure all these like kind of big indies, and it was a big a, a, a selling point for the PlayStation. For for indies, was that look, this is the platform where we're kind of making it a bit more accessible to get your game out there. So yeah. it's kind of surprising to see them kind of scale back a bit. Yeah, and actually, I should mention since I 
brought up Xbox. I, I haven't read the story yet, but I read the headline this morning that they're adding like an indie thing to Xbox Game Pass. They're going to start doing like an indie oh, cool. so, something or another. I'd, I'd have to pull it up to get the accurate information on that. Yeah. But they're they're making a point to put indies as part of Game Pass. That makes sense. Yeah. yeah. To like to, to make that like library kind of the full gamut of, of what games can be like. Yeah. It yeah. Makes sense to get more uh, indies on there. Yeah. 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 Indies. <laughs> <laughs> What's uh What have you been seeing this week? Yeah, I chatted with Improbable yesterday and uh, Aaron Flynn. Yep. Um, yeah, and Aaron Flynn, um, who's obviously leading their Edmonton studio because they are now. I mean, they they have they they now have two in-house development studios, which feels like a long time coming. Um, and yeah, I'm I, I'm sort of cautiously excited for whatever it is that Aaron Flynn is working on, just because you know he. He was the the guy at Bioware who yeah. was responsible for so many of like my favorite games. Um, so, but it's you know, <clears throat> it's quite good because you know it's Aaron Flynn. But also, I'm less excited because it's while I think Spatial OS is like a really exciting, cool bit of tech, it is just for online multiplayer games, which I'm not terribly interested in well, overall. That's, that's the most obvious use case, but like the. The selling point is also like they 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 try and stress like it can be used for complex simulations. So for example, like okay, um, Skyrim for example, like has a level of persistence where if you put a sword down, you can go off and play for forty hours. You go back and your sword is still on the floor. Yeah. Like theirs is like more, theirs is like you know more stuff like that, more more kind of open worlds that are deeper and complex and more simplistic. Like I, it's it's intriguing to me that they have started internal studios. You say like, like it's, it's been a kind of a long time coming. Like I remember, I. I briefly kind of spoke to Improbable when they shortly after they'd first started, and Herman Narula gave me this kind of whole pitch of what it can do, and it was going about like you know, imagine a world where you know you can you know, like just the world is living around you, and you can be off you know adventuring, but then that village is on fire, so you can go and see. That. I can't quite remember how he pitched it, but it was like just this idea of yeah, actually like a world, you know, a game world where stuff happens around you regardless of your actions where the world isn't just a, a kind of an animatronic museum waiting for your interaction where everything is happening around you you know like regardless of the player and that appealed to me that was 2014 maybe yeah. so it was like and like the the promise of that tech you know we're about well, I'm failing with my maths here well they were like five yeah five years on and we've yet to see it. Bossa released Worlds Adrift here last year, and I've heard that's reasonably good, but in terms of truly showing off what this tech can do, mm-hmm. so opening two studios, to me, strike, like, like, strikes me as, well, we're still struggling to get developers to really show what we what our tech can do. Let's do it ourselves. Mm-hmm. And the time it's going to take for them to do that, particularly given the scope of their, <laughs> I, their ideas and the ambition of their ideas, means that I think it's still going to be like another three, perhaps four years before we finally see what it is Spatial OS can do and whether or not that is a future of gaming. Yeah, I, I think you're right. Um, I mean, Herman Narula was saying that this was the plan from the very beginning. Hmm. Um, I mean, he would say that, wouldn't he? <laughs> um, and the thing is, I mean, like, the Improbable was, or Spatial OS was first conceived as a solution to a game that they were trying to develop. So it makes sense that this is kind of what they've always had in mind is you know, to use this tech to make their own games as well. Um, and, I mean, when I was speaking to them, they, I, they almost kind of, like, laughed at the idea of it being used for single-player games. Yeah. Like, I sort of mentioned, like, it seems to all be multiplayer games. Like, yeah, that is entirely the point. So, yeah. And that makes me less excited about the tech from a personal perspective. Mm. Um, 
but yeah, I know that you know they're they're working on an online RPG of some sort. Yeah, which doesn't sound that exciting because everyone's kind of making an online RPG and it, it feels it feels like a. This is the this is the thing. A lot of the tech, not a lot of the tech. Some of the tech here at GDC. Notably improbable and and uh, Hadian, and even to an extent, some of the stuff that was shown off about Stadia is all geared towards bigger online experiences. Mm-hmm. And obviously, the industry has shifted towards like you know, games as a service, multiplayer. That's the big thing. You know, Fortnite, you know, most successful game on the, on the market at the moment is one where you throw a hundred players into a map and they all battle each other mm-hmm. to death. And um, I, I, I spoke to Brendan Green yesterday. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, he's kind of moving on from PUBG and he's looking for like the idea of like what the next kind of online experience can be. He's not. Necessarily, he actually actively said, "I am not making PUBG two. I'm not looking for the next battle royale. I'm just coming, trying to come up with new ideas." But we were chatting, and it's like it struck me like, "Yeah, like so." Improbable's tech is all about kind of online multiplayer games where everyone is, you know, kind of like inevitably means everyone's battling it out. Some of the, some of the games that have been are being developed with that are just larger, bigger battles. Hadian showed off their tech with um, EVE Online where they had a 10,000 player battle. Mm-hmm. And yes, the, there is, to an extent, there's a coolness of like, oh wow, I'm I'm in a massive battle. Like it's not just, you know, 30 people in a Call of Duty map or four player on a GoldenEye map. Like we've gone to the stage where like, you know, I'm I'm one orc in the Battle of Helm's Deep. <laughs> like, and the, on in principle, that's cool. But surely that gets to the point where it's just so chaotic and so, like, man, there's got to be a limit to how big these battles can be before they start becoming not fun. Mm. I mean, that may just be me being cynical because I don't play many online multiplayer games, but, you know, I don't know. Like, like Brendan Green said, like, Battle Royale has a limit. You couldn't just keep adding players and it's still being fun. There is there is one one game being built on Spatial OS is a Battle Royale with a thousand players, yeah. which is... I guess they're like, well, we can do it, so let's try. But oh, just because you can doesn't mean you should. Well, that's a very good point. Um, and yeah, I mean, I don't know if having a thousand people will make the game better. I think it creates. I think it creates a whole bunch of issues, not just around like um, sort of how you kind of balance to make a game like that work, but also in terms of the actual practicalities of matchmaking mm. um, and then if you're going in from sort of the, from the perspective of, you know if, if you were to want to play a game like that with your friends um, and you die in the first like two minutes and then which, you, which I would yeah and then yeah. then your friends are down to like the last three or four people that's like a potentially long gap yeah. of time where you're just sat waiting for your yeah. friends it sounds, my, it sounds like a game that's really boring for about 950 people every yeah, time yeah yeah, yeah. My, my, my limited experience of Fortnite is Parachuting in, dying, waiting 10, 15 minutes for the match to finish, or before I realise you can then press the back to lobby button. But James! Do, I know. You, know. you know what I mean? Like, just the notion, like, like all these, these incredible, you know, like online connected experiences with so many players, but you only see that one guy that shoots you before, you know, shortly after you land, and then that's it. That's your experience. You're, my, my, I have yet to play a Fortnite match that lasted for me longer than a minute. So that is entirely based on my own skill. But equally, like just the concept of then having to wait, yeah. Like so yeah, so m- multiply that by ten, and you've got a thousand people, and I think the problem becomes multiplied yeah. by ten, almost like you you die a lot faster and you wait a lot longer, and yeah, you, you spend you spend a lot of time basically waiting for your friends to die, or yeah. So yeah, I'm 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 not sure. 
about a lot of that stuff. I think I think the improbable tech is is impressive in what it can do. I just don't know if I'm terribly interested in the sort of games that people are going to make with it. Yeah. Um, we're running short on time because we do still have a GDC to attend. So, <laughs> but um, I kind of one last thing I wanted to talk about was um, I'm not sure if you guys followed the the Oculus news from earlier this week. Um, so they announced obviously Oculus Rift. Um, it's going to launch alongside Oculus Quest. It's got this inside out tracking, so it's not got room tracking sensors. I spoke to Nate Mitchell and Jason Rubin, and they were both saying that basically this simplifies the message. Like if you want to get into um, VR now. If you want, if you've got a high-end PC and you want the coolest high-end virtual reality experience, well, you get a Rift S because you don't have to worry about trackers or anything. There's still like a wire, but you don't have to worry about trackers. You can with the inside-out tracking and stuff. You can actually physically. They said like if you're running your Rift on a laptop, which apparently a decent laptop will, or, or, a, or a fairly good laptop will run a Rift S. You, you know, if you if you need to move to another room, you can do so. So, so basically, like room scale VR, uh, VR is no longer tethered to a specific room. That's the promise of Rift S. If you don't have a PC, if you don't want the high end experience, if you just want to try a decent virtual reality, you have Quest, which is the standalone version. Their theory, they they are kind of like doubling down. All right, this is it now. This is us for next good few years. Is right. We're not going to do. We're not going to release a wireless version. We're not going to do full body tracking. We're going to do right. You've got your high-end Rift S, you've got your standalone Quest, this is the time to get into virtual reality. And they seem to think that this is going to be the start of people getting into, into the, the technology. It's about three, four years now since like the, the, the Rift actually launched, and Rift, VR is still such a niche market. Like, Is that simplistic a proposition? Well, is that proposition simplistic enough for you guys? And is it, if so, like, is that enough, you think, to get more people into virtual reality? It keeps getting marginally better every single time. The, I mean, the cheaper it gets, the more likely I am to look at it and say, well, maybe this year I'll finally buy yeah. in. But I still haven't. I mean, I think the big thing is I already have a Switch and a gaming PC, and between those two, there are so many games that I want to play. Mm. When I look at VR, there's really, like... I mean, after this last year, there are a few more games that I would play. Like, Tetris Effect looks amazing. Uh, Beat Saber just won an award, I think, at, you know, GDC or IGFs, I can't two. remember. They won two. It did. Yeah. It won one at each, didn't it? Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, Beat, everyone says Beat Saber's amazing. Um, and then Moss. But Yeah, Moss is meant to be good, yeah. Those are, like, three games. And I, I don't know what needs to give here. I don't know if it's the price point. I don't know if it we just need more games. I don't know if we need those games announced louder or better in different places. I don't know if we need more opportunities for people to try it out. But right now, it's just it's so muted that I don't really ever know what games are mm. available in VR, and I don't know why I should care. Well, Oculus, Oculus hope that it's kind of it's going to start shifting towards having better games. Like the, yeah, like they, they, I haven't fully transcribed the interview yet, but they definitely said like there is like people keep asking for like the killer app of VR. They said like there is no one killer app because people different people want different things from virtual reality. Mm -hmm. So far, the vast majority of VR experiences have been kind of shorter things, tech demos, games that within five minutes you've basically understood how this works and that's it. That's and you can replay it if you want to, but if not, you've pretty much experienced the whole game or all the game has to offer. The games they had on offer at this um, on, on display at this this event earlier this week were things like right Stormlands, which I can't remember the full details of, but is developed by Insomniac Games. I played so Stormlands. Okay, yeah. I played it at PAX West last year. Right, so like that that's built as this kind of much bigger. Um, experienced by a AAA developer. Yeah. They had Asgard's Wrath, which is like a 30, 40 hour RPG, which, you know, I don't, there aren't many 30, 40 hour 
games available for VR. Like they they said, like there is starting to be this shift towards longer experiences, bigger, yeah, bigger companies making these games. So that's in theory going to help. But I don't. Again, I don't know if that's prominent enough yet. Yeah, I think I think the other thing that I'm waiting for is for not just one, but maybe a couple big AAA publishers or developers to release a game with an IP that people already know, recognize, yeah. and love that you can only get in VR. Because yeah. I mean, we've seen Skyrim and what Doom was Doom on VR. Doom was in VR. Doom was in yeah. VR. I mean Bethesda, um, yeah, Bethesda, but then and then they're just like yeah. kind of portable. And games. Resident Evil, but um, those were all things that you could get elsewhere. Yeah. And so there wasn't any particular need, but like I mean, just to pull a random IP, like if Elder Scrolls Six was only in VR or yeah. something, then everybody would buy VR who loves that. Or even if, it, even if it wasn't Elder Scrolls Six, but was a spin-off, like was like yeah, like okay, yeah, you can get Elder Scrolls Six on consoles, but right. you can only get Elder Scrolls Morrowind Two, on, <laughs> please. Yeah, um, something yeah. something like that. Yeah, yeah. like yeah, because I, th- I think you're right. Yeah, like there yeah. is this VR functionality for some big games, but it's not. It's not uh, like kind of mandatory, yeah. right? Yeah, so and you need that. You need that for a couple different franchises, yeah. not just not just one, because that would get a group would of it, people over. But w- once there were a couple different options, I think that would we would start to see more of a migration. Oculus seem to reckon, and of course they would, because they're they're Oculus and they're big. <laughs> they want to sell you. They want Oculus. to sell you stuff, but they they they're confident that now that now that they've they've simplified the, the VR offering, you either have a standalone version with the Quest or a a. a, a and a, a convenient high-end version with Rift S. Now that they've got that two-pronged approach, they can now get Call of Duty, Assassin's Creed, Madden, etc. onto VR. That's what they hope. So, have you guys got a, a busy final day then? Yes. <laughs> Hayden's just nodding with a very tired look on his face. Mine's not too bad. Yours is not too bad. Well, we really should get back to it. So, um, thank you very much for joining us. You can find all our previous episodes on all good podcasting platforms, iTunes, Spotify, etc. I tend not to name all the other ones, but um, because they're so I don't even many. know all the other I ones. I don't know. That's Pocket, Part, Pocket Cast, Player FM, Stitcher, Overcast, all those sort of ones. Like, kind of the independent ones are actually better than the main apps. But... Um, and you can, of course, find all your daily dose of news, insight, and analysis into the world behind video games at gamesindustry.biz. Right. I Two thoughts on that. The first, You said it was smooth enough, and that's one... Good enough is one of the phrases that I've. <gasps> a pigeon just flew into the window. We just got attacked by a pigeon. Okay. Oh my gosh. <laughs> Let me restart that again. <laughs>